This is Daniel Self, lead pastor of the Orchard Church, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Afterwards, if you would like and subscribe, or if you want more information on The Orchard or to support this ministry, find us at theorchardlife.com. Now know that we are praying for you today, that God would speak to you, and you would have a breakthrough. Good morning, Orchard. We are glad you are here. For those of you in the building who brave the snow and the cold, and those of you who are with us online who brave your jammies and are going to brave the notifications that will uh, interrupt you throughout this. We are glad you're here with us. Uh, if you are joining us since Christmas, you might not know it, but we've been in the middle of a series, a sermon series on the book of Exodus. And we, we're, we've been through Genesis, we've been through Exodus, we have a, some amazing stuff ahead, but we're stepping back into this ancient book to see what God has for us today as we walk through chapter by chapter to see what, he, what he's got for us. And, and for those of you who maybe are new from Christmas or need a reminder of what were we doing and what were we talking about, here is your Reader's Digest, very quick recap to catch you up. Remember, we found the children of Israel, God's people, they were in slavery in Egypt, Egypt for hundreds of years, generations upon generation. And then God raised up Moses. You've seen the movie, right? Charleston Heston. Let my people go. That happened. Charleston Heston, not Charleston Heston, Moses went to Pharaoh and, and said, hey, uh, let, my, let God's people go. And then God did miracle after miracle to show that the Egyptian gods and goddesses were idols and he was more powerful. Well, Pharaoh finally relents and sends them out. And then we have that, that um, great scene at the Red Sea where the chariots are coming down upon them. The sea splits and God's people escape through. And then we transition from God bringing his people out of slavery to the next part of it, and that is him leading them through the wilderness before they get to the promised land. And the book of Exodus always has something for each of us, and part of it is you and your spiritual journey, God is leading you somewhere. However you arrived here, whether it's by accident or by invite or whatever it would be, you're here today listening to this, and you have had a spiritual journey. God is leading you somewhere, and oftentimes in our journey, we have wilderness seasons. Well, God took his people through a wilderness season. He wanted to take some things away from them, to break some things off and have them leave it behind. And he wanted to build some things in them for the future and what he had for them. God takes these people. They've only known slavery for generation after generation. Think of it. They had no national identity. They didn't know who he was and who they were. And he begins to speak identity of who he is and who they are to them. He leads them to Mount Sinai, and there he begins to un unveil this covenant. Now, you know this covenant as the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments, is, if you were here for this, you remember it's a marriage covenant. It's, it's saying, I will be your God, you'll be my people. It's a covenant of marriage almost, and it makes sense then, while the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods, because if you've ever been married, one of the things that you want to promise and be promised is that, hey, there's nobody else involved in this. And then God continues to go through these Ten Commandments, these covenant promises, so that they know what it means, who they are and who he is and how to engage and interact with him. We get to uh, the, have no idols. And then we get to the, covenant, uh, the, the commandment, don't use the Lord's name in vain. And that was a very interesting week because we have our idea of what that would mean. But the Bible has such a rich and deep meaning for what it means to not use God's name in vain. And now we get to the covenant command that we're going to look at today. Perhaps one of the most misunderstood, perhaps one of the most eh, forgotten and left in the past, but it's also the commandment that is split churches, split denominations, split friends, and split all kinds of things in religion. In fact, this commandment, <clears throat> honor the Sabbath, 
has so much in it. I listened to probably 30 hours of podcasts, reading books, uh, and researching so much just to speak to you for three hours this morning. I mean, it was a lot of work. Yeah, buckle up. Honor the Sabbath. Now, as soon as I mentioned the Sabbath, some of you were like, I don't even know what that is. Exactly. It's a Ten Commandment. We, I mean, we, we want people like, let's put them up in the courthouses. Let's do this and do that. What is the Sabbath and are you doing it? What is the Sabbath? And what is this ancient Sabbath back here in Exodus to an ancient people who are learning how not to be a slave, but how to be sons and daughters of God? How does a Sabbath to them have anything to do with you and I today? That's the question. And so let's go ahead and read in Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On that day, do no work, not you, your son, your daughter, male or female servants, your animals, no foreigner who even lives in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Those verses right there that I just read have caused so much confusion, so much infighting. And in fact, from those verses right there, perhaps more than almost any other place in the Old Testament has been the source of more additional rules and regulations and commandments than any other. Remember, as humans, we want to know what to do. So if I told you, hey, go out and honor the Sabbath, I'll see you next week, you'd go, what do I do? Well, that's always the question with this. And so the question has been, okay, honor the Sabbath and do no work. Well, what is work? That's a question because, yeah, I might not be at my job, but what if I'm working out in the yard? What if I'm chopping wood? What if I'm working to get uh, up a ski lift or down? A, what if I'm, how am I, what is work? That's the question that launched a thousand additional rules. Ancient sages and rabbis took these verses and upon them, they divided work into 39 different categories. 39 different categories. And then from that, they came up with the researches from the oral tradition, the Talmud and all the writings. It could be up to a thousand thou shalt nots from one thou shalt. Thou shalt honor the Sabbath and over a thousand Thou shalt not. You shall not work. And then it seems there's so much work to not do that. Here's a few of the laws. And these are real that came from this. Exodus mentions you cannot gather food on the Sabbath. That means no hunting. That'd be gathering. And the sages and rabbis, they took this and they thought about what does that work actually mean for you on an afternoon on a Sabbath when there's a fly in your room. Well, to kill a fly is to find it, seek it out, and kill it. That's hunting, and that would be work. No killing flies on the Sabbath. Another thing you cannot do on the Sabbath, they decided, was you cannot tie anything, because tying anything is a form of construction or building, and that's working. So if you're a woman on the Sabbath and your hair falls uh, from your bun, you cannot gather your hair, and you cannot tie your hair or you're breaking the prohibitions of the Sabbath. A friend of mine, Dr. David Corson, and his wife, Robin, you may know them. They took a group of uh, orchard people to Israel, and he's been there many times. 
And he's actually, he's take, they're taking a group to uh, on the footsteps of Paul this year. And if you would like to travel with them to discover and follow Paul's footsteps in the New Testament, go to our website and you'll find that information. I was talking to him about some of the things that they noticed when they were there in Israel that, were, that had to do with this. And he said they saw a young couple uh, there in Israel and they were pushing a baby carriage. But something very curious was happening as the, the, the man would push the carriage about three steps, stop, move to the side, and then she would push it three steps, stop, and they would switch back and he would push it three steps and stop. And this was all very, he was watching this and wondering what was going on and they found out it was because on the Sabbath, um, there are rules for how much you can work in pushing your baby. And you can only push it about six feet at a time. And so to get around that, they would push it six feet and then switch, six feet and then switch. That way, they're not breaking the Sabbath. Other ones are, don't cook your food was one of them. And to cook your food, often it meant you would have to start a fire, kindle a fire. And it says, don't boil, don't cook. Well, they began to think, what else is that? Well, to kindle a fire in modern times, no electricity. If you start, well, you can have electricity, but if you start or ignite electricity, so you got up this morning and you kindled a fire when you turned that key. And you kindled a second fire when that combustion engine fired up. And you kindled all the way to church to celebrate the Lord's Day, breaking the Sabbath commandments. Now, one of those things they do is because of this, if you go to, a, if you go to Israel on the Sabbath, they have elevators there and they have a special Sabbath elevator. Because if you push a button for your floor, that's kindling electricity and breaking the Sabbath. So the special Sabbath elevator, it stops on every single floor and opens the door. So if you're on the 32nd floor, you better plan for about 30 minutes, right? It's going to be quite a ride. They do have Gentile elevators. And, and so if you get in one of those, Dave, if you get in a Gentile elevator and you're going to go into, I'm going to go straight to the 32nd floor. Before you can push the button, a bunch of locals jump in the elevator with you and go, 22nd floor, please. Because you can do it, but they won't. You see, there's a bunch of, the, a bunch of these rules and regulations that um, we take and we add on top of God's word. Now, we're having some fun with this for a second, but we do it as well. In fact, some of the stuff that I cut out of here was all the things that we have done that we, that we take God's word and God's rules, and then we make it a rule. The person doing announcements, I don't know if you noticed this this morning, he was wearing a hat, breaking a commandment of God. Surely. I remember when I wore a hat. You may have heard the story. I grew up in Redstone Marble. We would wear caps to church because it was so cold. I mean, like knit caps. And then so I went to college and I wore a hat on stage at a Baptist college. And I was in the Baptist newspaper the next day. That how could I ever go desecrate God's house that way? I almost wore a hat just for this very purpose today. Listen, we have our own rules. There's rules about how we can dress what women can wear, what men can wear, what we can, what we can do. There's rules like, you know, two Baptists do not recognize each other in a liquor store. That's a rule. That's, there are rules in religion. We take God's law and we add ours onto it. This isn't just a, a Hebrew Ten Commandment thing. This is an us thing. We do this. You likely have your special preferences and rules for how you think church should go best. And I hear a lot of them. We should have more hymns, less hymns, more this, more that, whatever. We all have this. And what we have here today is, is this ancient commandment with all these laws that were piled on top of it. But, but, but let's be honest, for us, we don't have any of them, do we? How many Sabbath laws do you actually follow? Do we know what the Sabbath even is? Do we know what the Sabbath has to do with any of us? What day is the Sabbath? 
Why are we meeting on Sunday? All these questions. And if that question isn't big enough, like, why is it, God, why is the Sabbath so important? That's below it all. Like, why did you take 10 commandments and one of them is, hey, have a day off? I mean, I appreciate it, but why? Why is this, and why do you call it sacred? Why is it holy? Now, while you may not celebrate the Sabbath and the laws and the reason that God said pull aside, there is something sacred in our culture, and it's called the weekend. You know, if you work a job during the week, nine to five, and your boss says, hey, go ahead and come in on Sunday and let's do inventory. Well, he is on sacred ground. We have our Saturdays, our powder days, our weekends. Our weekends in American culture are so important. In fact, we created a whole thing around it, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. In fact, the cure, you know, the, that, that, that worship band called The Cure. I don't care if Monday's blue, Tuesday's gray, and Wednesday too, and Thursday, I don't care about you. It's, it's Friday. I'm in love. It's Friday. It's the end of the week. Finally, everybody's working for the weekend. Whitney Houston, poet of our times, and it's, it's time to let the good times roll. The weekend's finally here. Michael Jackson knew about the, uh, the uh, Sabbath. He says this, wake up in the morning, a brand new day, Saturday ain't for working. He said that in a song. We have, uh, we have to have a weekend because all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Like we, as a culture, songs, movie quotes, all kinds of things, looking forward to the weekend where we can finally clock out, unplug, and just have a day. Have two days. We're enamored with the weekend. And I, wanna, I want you to talk to your neighbor about something. Introverts, I'm sorry. Um, talk to your neighbor and guess what year and what culture did the five-day work week start? Go ahead, just for a second. If you're in the chat right now on Facebook or YouTube, go ahead and type it in. What's your guess? What culture, what year did the weekend actually become a weekend? Because you'll, you'll, if you don't know this, in early civilizations, there was no weekend. There was no day that you were allowed off work. Now, royalty, they might enjoy lots of vacations and days off. But if the royals or the elites or the person who had servants are off, guess who's working extra? Oftentimes, if someone's off, someone else is working more. I mean, a slave class, a servant class. Throughout history, if you look, there is not any consistent day off, so to speak. The Babylonians, I'm going to go through some civilizations that, that got the calendar and got their societies together in new ways. The Babylonians had certain days dedicated to rest for religious festivals, but there was no weekly day off in the Babylonian calendar at all. Romans had numerous festivals and holidays, but nothing of a regular day of rest for everybody. The ancient Greeks also holidays, festivals, but no day off consistently. The idea of a regular weekly day of rest was unique to this Hebrew culture. And guess what? As far as your weekend that you love so much, 1926, Henry Ford of the Ford Motor Company implemented the five-day work week to improve the well-being of his workers and his employees by giving them extra leisure time. This decision it contributed to the standardization of the two-day weekend as we know it in the United States. Now, Henry Ford, he didn't do this for religious reasons. This wasn't like Chick-fil-A or anything. No, no, he didn't do this because you know what he found out? 
Henry Ford found out that if he provided a weekend, this new radical idea, he had better workers. They were more alert workers throughout their work time. There, were, there was greater morale. There was less turnover. There was more job satisfaction. And because of this brand new crazy idea, the weekend, there were less on-the-job conflict and less accidents. They have all this proven. You see, it's almost as if the Sabbath, they, they found something that proved something that God had already designed. It's almost like we were made for this. It's almost like we were created for some kind of weekend. Like we love it so much. It's almost like there's something in that that we were designed for. And Jesus in Mark 2.27 says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. Like there was something made for your, you have needs. You have needs that a day of rest meets. No wonder we love the weekend. It's almost like you were created for the weekend, right? God designed us to be most fulfilled, most balanced when there's rest and refreshment. Science once again found out and discovered what God had already designed. So in Exodus, when he takes these millions of slaves out of captivity, he takes them through the wilderness and he wants to begin to speak into their self-worth, speak into their significance and security and their identity and all these things. What does he do? He gives them a day off. He gives them a Sabbath. He commands this, the slaves who've never known a day off, never known a weekly consistent day off. I mean, think about it. They're slaves. All they knew was work. All they knew was labor. They went to bed every day's a Monday. There's no like, oh, finally I'm off from my slavery. No, in Egypt, all they did was labor. Every day they woke up knowing that. The Sabbath in this culture is a revolutionary, unique idea because it's not just for the ones at the top. It was for everybody. Absolutely revolutionary. For a slave or a servant to have a, a certain day off consistently, weekly, where they didn't have to serve. Unfounded. Now, I want to open up something today that will hopefully change how you view the Sabbath, which I realized as I was looking through all this and I had all this information is not hard. We don't know much about the Sabbath. We certainly don't follow much of the Sabbath once you kind of get in to know what it means. We believe the Ten Commandments, but do we actually believe the Ten Commandments? Do we actually follow the Ten Commandments? Well, we, we're talking through all these things as we're going through them, but here in Exodus 20, God makes this command to honor the Sabbath. And the only other place before Exodus 20 is in Exodus 16, where he mentions the Sabbath. Do you remember when God was leading them through the desert and they needed food? And so he provided for them manna? And he said, gather manna. And on, on Friday, gather extra. And on Saturday, no cooking, no, provide, like, no preparing. Have it all ready on Friday because Saturday is a day of rest. It's the Sabbath. That's the only place the word is used before Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. So we have all this. But before Exodus 16, there is no mention of the Sabbath. But what if I told you that the Sabbath was something far earlier than the Ten Commandments? What if I told you that the Sabbath is something, even now, thousands of years later, that is worth your time and worth your purpose and energy to change and adjust your life to? What if I told you that the Sabbath is divinely established well before the Ten Commandments, and it is inspired for you today. 
Well, for this, we have to go somewhere else in the Bible. And you're thinking, yeah, we got to go to Jesus. No, no. Page one, Genesis one. First page of the Bible. We have God. He's creating the earth. From nothing, God is creating something as the creator. He's establishing complexity and continuity, light and dark, water and land, air and earth, beast and bird. He's the chemicals and particles and the atoms and the complexity of a level that we still don't fully grasp. Creator God establishes the earth. And at that point, he makes it a paradise. It is paradise. There is no sin. There's no, Mondays aren't Mondays in paradise. You know what I'm saying? There's no sin, there's no evil, there's no pain, there's no death. It's perfect. And in it, he places two humans who were created in his very image with emotion and cognition and intuition and a spirit, a soul that sets them apart. And you get this. You know your loved ones have a soul that, they, that there's more to us than accidents and, and those things. God created something in his people that was eternal. And then in that paradise where he created, he created and put them, guess what it says? That God would come down into that garden and he would walk with them and he would talk with them. God would come down into the garden and be with them. And so you have those our original design was to walk with God in a garden and have a relationship. I want you to remember that sentence and stow it away for later. That early, the first design was for us to, come, was us to walk in a garden with God and enjoy a relationship. And if they were hungry, I guess they would just pluck something from and eat it from the, perfected of the perfection of the garden around them. You know? They didn't have to toil. They didn't have to strive. They didn't have to, to, to work like we do. It was paradise. Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished his work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, God rested from his work. Then God blessed that seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from the work of creating he had done. So in Genesis, in paradise, before the fallen, broken world, God created a day of rest in perfection, in perfect, in, that sounds like I'm saying in, imperfect, in Space, perfection. God creates the Sabbath. Well before Mount Sinai, well before the Ten Commandments, well before any of this, God creates this day, setting aside time to be in his presence, to rest. And God did this for a reason. Because God intended for humanity to find our rest in him. In perfection, in, the, in paradise, there's no need for a weekend. God ordained a Sabbath rest, not for tired feet and calloused hands, but so that our souls could engage and that we could declare him the Lord of our time, our calendar. Have you ever been on a vacation? Oh, I need a vacation. And you get back from vacation and you're more tired than when you left? Again, there's not enough pictures of your toes at the beach for Instagram to make your soul feel rested. You see, we were created for something different. We were created, even, even when things were perfect, we were created for Sabbath rest. It was part of the original paradigm of creation. Holy rest, set aside your soul to declare that God is the Lord of your time. That was your original design. I was designed to walk in the garden with my Lord, that my soul and body and mind would find rest with him. He was to be my Sabbath rest and yours. But see, we rejected that paradise 
And we now live in between these two paradises. We have the original paradise where we're created to walk in a garden of perfection and find rest with him. And someday in heaven, we will be in perfection with him. And we are in between. And in between, right here, what do we know? We know the hardship of work and toil and labor. We know that we have to strive. What we've learned as humanity is that we have security and significance, and we go out into the world to find those things and feed those things. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm okay. Like my pictures. Love my work. Give me accomplishments. Tell me I'm pretty. Tell me I'm... Like, we have significance and security. We go out and look for, and it causes us to strive. No wonder we're so exhausted. Our entire world is set up right now in this fallen world and our culture for us to strive for everything. And when we rest, we go on vacation and we strive for likes or we strive for this. Or When does the striving stop? You see, we, use, we, we, we know what it means. We strive for our self-worth. We used to walk with God in the garden. We used to walk with him in wonder that now, now we know we grind for our own glory. We hustle to get some happiness. We, we, labor, we labor even for likes online. Our whole life is striving. Our current condition, I would say this, we need Sabbath rest more than most any other culture. Even in our rest, our phones are telling us, hey, there's more to strive for. There's more notifications. There's more things. We need a time and a space to pause and be present with our creator. We need more than ever to be reminded that he is the Lord of our time, our life, our calendar, that our soul's greatest rest and refreshment is found in him because the original design was that you walk with him and find rest in him. And then God did something amazing. That was the original design. We got, we got in the way. And then he sent Jesus, God, fully God, to come down and walk with us and to show us what it looks like to, 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 to live the Sabbath, to honor the Sabbath. And so Jesus comes and he's going to, he, he is the law, he is the word. He wrote it, he knows it backwards and forwards because he, and he comes down to show us what it looks like to live it. And what happened? Oh, he lived it. And they hated him for it. And by they, I mean the Pharisees, the people who kept the rules, who, who divided one, thou shalt honor the Sabbath into 39 categories and thousands of rules. They could not believe that someone was coming and not honoring their rules. What did Jesus have the nerve to do? I'll tell you a few of them. He had the nerve to heal on the Sabbath. And healing, apparently, is working. One time he mixed mud. Now that's mixing that's working. Like, like Jesus worked, I guess, in their, in their rules, and they were so angry and livid with him. John 5, he heals a blind man, and they're livid. John 13, he heals a woman who's bent over a cripple for 18 years. He heals her on the Sabbath, and they are enraged. Mark 3, in church, on the Sabbath, Jesus heals a man with a shriveled hand. I mean, in church. That's where the healing should happen, right? And the, it says right, right there afterwards, the Pharisees left and began to plot his death. Do you see how big the Sabbath loomed in culture? I want to focus now on Mark 2 as we see Jesus doing something. 
Mark 2, verse 23. It says, One Sabbath day, Jesus is walking through some grain fields. His disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. Now, pause right here. I'm going to interject um, some stuff that's not my notes. I told you the original intent was for us to be in a garden and walk with our Lord, right? And Jesus, our Lord, is on the earth, and we have the disciples. What are they doing? Walking through a garden, so to speak, with their Lord. And it says that they have need. They reach out and they grab some grain. They break the grain off. They probably thresh it and harvest it in their hands, and then they eat it. I mean, they're they're breaking a lot of rules here. This is big-time stuff. But do you see that Jesus is a walking capsule of Sabbath? We have people, his people, walking with him in relationship through a garden. As, if you, as you begin to study Jesus with eyes to see the Sabbath, you see how he is a Sabbath walking around in so many ways. But catch this. Guess who's watching? Verse 24. But the Pharisees, they're obviously there watching. They say, to, like, can you imagine just following Jesus around? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? But Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? What's hilarious to me is that the religious people They think it's against the law to grab some grain and do this when you're hungry, but apparently following the Son of God around to tell him how to live the Bible is on the table. Like, like these are the ancient Karens who follow Jesus around telling him what he can and cannot do. Why are disciples allowed to harvest? This is prohibited. And before we just throw them under the bus, I want to remind you that we do this. We go into churches and places and we see somebody doing something that we don't think you should do in church. Oh, that's not how it's done. That's not how we do it. We get this. Jesus said to them, and he begins to tell them a story from the Old Testament, this very controversial story that would have given them uh, theology headaches. He said, have you ever read the scriptures that David, King David, did what he did with his companions when they were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves. And by the way, we're gonna get in this, uh, in this series coming up soon into the tabernacle and temple and what all this stuff means. I'm so excited. Um, they get the sacred loaves that only the priests were allowed to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. They ask him about breaking this Sabbath and he goes, well, look in your own, look in your own Bible. Look back there at David. And then Jesus, he's going somewhere. He says this. Then Jesus said this to them. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Guys, you got it all backwards. You think we're all here to to meet these religious hoops and requirements. It's actually there to help meet your needs. You're so busy telling the people how not to work that you've made it more work. Again, how many steps you can take, how much you can do, how all these things. It was supposed to be a day of rest with the Lord. You've given them so many laws that it's work to rest And he finishes with this in verse 28. The son of man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Now Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. And what he's saying here, he's saying, I am the Lord. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now that is, that right there to to them would have been, no wonder they want to kill him. He's declaring something there. I am Lord of the Sabbath. I would take it farther as you look at Jesus's life and say, Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is is our Sabbath. He came and he fulfilled so many things and opened up Sabbath rest for us in a whole new way. Jesus in the New Testament is obviously, he's he's that walking Sabbath I talked about. Today, what's our our takeaway? From this ancient law of, what's our takeaway? Jesus is our Sabbath. 
You see, Jesus, we find salvation, which is rest from our spiritual striving. Religion is humanity's attempt to get to God by doing all the right things, doing all the right stuff, and, and being, uh, being uh, affirmed and making sure that we're okay to God by doing everything we can. And in salvation and grace, Jesus did all the work for us. Salvation is Sabbath rest from spiritual striving. Grace is Sabbath rest from all the religious deeds and work that we do to earn forgiveness. In Jesus, we have freedom from religious legalism, including the Sabbath. Listen to this. Paul says this in the New Testament. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days, new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. For these rules are shadows of the reality to come. Now, a shadow is something that there's light involved. I believe that light is this last part. Christ himself is that reality. That Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. In Jesus, we have the healing, restoration. In Jesus, we have the peace. We have the rest from striving for significance and security. We have Sabbath rest because he is Lord of the Sabbath, which means if you and I are going to Sabbath, we don't need to worry about carrying or harvesting or gathering or hunting flies or kindling electricity. We need to go to our Sabbath to find Sabbath rest. We need to carve out sacred space with Jesus to have Sabbath rest. You were created for Sabbath in the original intent. You will enjoy that Sabbath rest in the internal destination. But in between, we are to carve out spaces of Sabbath to be in his presence, to be with him. Jesus talks about this. He talks about the yoke and the burden of religion that so many people are weighed down upon and how life can, can give us all this striving. And he calls you and me to this. He says this, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, that's my teachings. Take my teachings, my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. We don't need another vacation. What we need is rest for our souls that works its way out through our heart, mind, everything. When your soul is at rest, it changes everything. When your soul finds purpose and peace in God, it changes everything. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And to close it all out, I wanna say this. Sabbath, carving out space for Sabbath is actually a declaration that Jesus is Lord of your life. The Sabbath is relevant to us today Yes, and we need to carve out and create some sacred space in our week and in your day to seek and spend time with God. Sabbath is important. It is vital. It's original intent when things were perfect. It's not perfect now. We need Sabbath more than ever. We need to pursue and spend restful relationship time with Jesus in his word in prayer, and not just the Santa Claus prayers of give me, I need, I need, I need, please, 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 but the, th the prayers of thanksgiving, the prayers of gratitude, and the prayers of praying for, for greater purpose. Instead of just saying, give me these things, say, Father, give me wisdom for my daughter and my son as I parent them. Give me wisdom in my marriage. Give me purpose at work, your purpose. Spending time with Jesus, you know what it does? It aligns me with heaven. It aligns me with my original intent.
It correctly orients my life around God being my first priority. Sabbath isn't just time or a day to do nothing. It orients my life to say, God, you're my priority. Sabbath space in your week, in your day, declares that I will stop my striving. I will stop my laboring. I will pause and I will rest in you, my God. I'll find rest for my soul. You see, because our energy, our life, all that we strive for, all that we have can be broken down into three categories. Your time, your treasure, and your talents. Three things that God has placed in your hands. And how I align those three things has a lot to do with how I live my life and how important God truly is to me. How I deal with my time, treasure, and talents reveals more about my spiritual life than I'm willing to admit. If I don't give God my time, talent, and treasure, I'm not surrendered to him. And here, let me say this. Tithing declares that he is Lord of my treasure. Serving declares he is Lord of my talents. And Sabbath declares he is Lord of my time. That when I'm giving out of my, I'm, I'm tithing or giving out of what I have in my treasure, I'm saying, this is yours. When I'm giving out of the talent I have, the personality, the gifting, and serving somewhere in my life for him, I'm saying, I am yours and all you've given me is yours. And when I am carving out in my calendar space for Sabbath with my God, I'm saying, you are God of my time. And you are a priority. We say love God and love people is our mission, our vision. The verse is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That requires priority. And if I'm not declaring him Lord of my time, I don't know how to get here. Sabbath was made for you to engage in God, to declare that he is Lord of your time. So love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and know that your Sabbath space is something sacred. So let me ask you a question this week. Where can you carve out time, set aside time to be present with him? That's Sabbath. Just like your original design, orient your life to how he made you and carve out time to be in his presence, in his word, in prayer, to speak to him, to listen to him. Are we pursuing the heart of God in Sabbath spaces in our life? Orchard, I wanna challenge you to do that. I'm not going to be, I'm going to, actually, I do want to be bold about this. I want you to, to go find some Sabbath space in your life today, tomorrow, carve it out, make it sacred and align yourself with how God created us to be designed and operate at our fullest. We're created by God. We're created for God. And he knew that we need.